My name is Alan Boys, and I'd like to welcome you to our virtual service here at Kendricks Creek United Methodist Church. If you enjoy our services, you can feel free to find us on Facebook at our Facebook page, Kendricks Creek United Methodist Church, or on the web at our website, www.kendrickscreek.com. We'd like to uh, express our appreciation to you if you're visiting with us today. Uh, it's very difficult to uh, worship these days in America in this uh, time uh, with the COVID. And so we've had to find new and invent inventive ways to meet. And we all look forward to the time when we can uh, meet in person again and physically see one another and shake hands. But for the time being, we'll just do the best we can. I'd like to say a brief prayer for our service this morning, so please bow your heads. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to gather spiritually and emotionally to worship you. We pray for the time when we can do this physically and with one another in our presence. We pray that you will be with Pastor Steve as he brings us a message this morning from your word. We pray that our hearts will be receptive to that word and we will put it to good use and good works in the week to come. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. I was asked to say a few words about my hike on the Appalachian Trail, so I decided to come from a place that's very close to you, it's within an hour's drive, where you can enjoy a brief stroll on the Appalachian Trail too. This is Damascus, Virginia. All you have to do is follow the white blazes. There's another one on the rock behind me. This is probably the most level spot of the trail I can find for you to enjoy. I can assure you the other 2,200 miles is not that level. It was a difficult year to do a hike on the Appalachian Trail because uh, we were hikers were asked to leave the trail in March. And so I, uh, I followed those uh, instructions and requests until the uh, areas that the trail went through were opened back up. So uh, there was about 10 weeks where I was not able to hike. Uh, in, the, in the time since then, I have hiked uh, into New Jersey. I had developed some blisters uh, in Pennsylvania as an extremely rocky trail, which caused me to limp and uh, aggravate uh, lig ligaments and tendons in my right hip. And I was advised to go home and do some R&R, &R, which I did. And, uh, just last week, I got on a plane back up to Allentown, Pennsylvania, and was met there by what we call a trail angel. These are people that help hikers because they like hiking. And I'll be picked up at the airport and shuttled back to uh, Delaware Water Gap, Pennsylvania, and continue my hike. By the time uh, you're hearing this, I hope to be in the state of New York, closing in on the Hudson River. I want to thank those of you who have supported me and encouraged me on this endeavor. It's been going on for almost a year now, and I've enjoyed every minute of it and every step until I got to northern Pennsylvania, but that's another story. I intend to uh, accomplish my hike up to the New Hampshire border this year, and I'll have to finish the final 420 miles next year, but I intend to do it. Thank you again for your support.
I was a kid, we had a, we had an Apple computer, one of the old ones, you know, is like pretty much a box. Um, that, that was our, that was our computer as a family. And, uh, it would occasionally do this thing. I mean, if you've ever had a computer, especially an older one, you know, what I'm talking about is where it would just kind of like start to freeze. And especially on the Apple, you get like this little, this little like spinning wheel and uh, this little spinning wheel of death. And like when you got that, that was bad news because that meant that like whatever was going on inside of that box, it wasn't going on anymore. And so what you had to do sometimes is, is this is what, you know, I mean, my dad was a very smart man. Um, and this is what we did is that you just, uh, you just press the off button and hold it and then the power off and then you give it a good 10 count. You ever done that? You just give it one, two, three, all the way up to 10. Then when you get to 10, it's like, okay, it's good now. Why 10? I don't know, magic number, it just, it seemed to work. And then you power it back on and she'd fire right back up. I don't know why, it always seemed to work. But sometimes we just had to reset the computer. And, uh, and the thing is that like sometimes in life, you just need a reset. And so what we're looking at in this series, we're looking at the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And uh, we're looking at this as a reset. Because in our world right now, I don't know if you've, you've been around, it's like our world is pretty much that little spinning wheel of death, right? We're just like, I don't know, we need a reset. We just, can I just press that button and give it a good 10 count? And maybe when it comes back on, things will be, things will be better. The truth is we don't have control over what's going on out there, but we do have control over what's going on in here. And so we may not be able to reset that, but we can always reset our hearts. And so looking at this letter to the Ephesians, that's what we're going to together. So we started last week just opening up in chapter one. We're going to finish off chapter one today, um, which is why I brought you here. This is one of my favorite spots, honestly, in the world. Not an exaggeration. I've been a few places and I love, I love Bays Mountain. Um, for me, over the last six months, this has, been, this has been a place I've come to quite a lot. Um, just with everything going on in the world, pandemics and in my own life, it's just been, man... I just be honest, I feel like I needed a reset. And so I come up here, um, one of the things I love about Bays Mountain is I can park, you can't, if you would turn around, you might be able to see the parking lot. Maybe not, but there's a, it's cause there's a hill in the way, that's why. Uh, but the parking lot's just right back, right back over there. And so I can park in that parking lot and within five minutes, I can be totally away from pretty much anybody. And I can run, I can hike, I can do just be in the woods. Um, and for me, that's a way that like I reset. That's something that's good for my soul is the solitude and the silence and being out in the trees. Uh, I just, I really find a lot of, a lot of peace in that and a lot of just the finding the presence of God in that place. Um, so, so I've come here quite a lot, you know, once, twice, three times a week. Um, and so I brought you here to this place because this is a place that, like I will come. So when I finish my run, usually there's like a trailhead that comes right out here and then I, the car's right over there. So I usually grab some water, some Gatorade and come, come and just sit over here. There's actually a rock just right up there uh, that I usually go and sit on. It looks kind of like pride rock if you want to envision what it looks like. I just sit on the rock and just, and just look out. I mean, it's a good view. Uh, but for me, it's just a way to kind of reset my heart, my mind, my spirit. Sometimes it just is a minute because that's all I got. Sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes a half hour. The truth is I found that's a really helpful rhythm and discipline for me, been really helpful over the last six months just to help me to, to make sense out of life. Everybody needs a reset and everybody needs that rock. And so I invite you to come to come with me. We're going to look at a uh, Ephesians chapter 1 together. Um, just to remind you of a couple things, this is written to the church at Ephesus. The Apostle Paul writing the church at Ephesus, he, uh, he helped start some churches in the city. Remember, churches were not in a building. They were just in people's homes. It was the church of 
people, not a building. And so they just meet wherever they could. Um, and so uh, the church in Ephesus, Ephesus at the time was the third largest city in the world, somewhere over 200,000 people, uh, massive center of political power in the Roman Empire in the in Asia at the time. It was also um, a hub to a lot of different pagan religions and various cults. So there was all sorts of different spiritual practices and other things going on in the city. And, um, and it was a place that, that needed Jesus. And so Paul is writing this church in Ephesus. Uh, I mean, compared to the total size of the population, probably pretty small. So keep in mind, Paul's not writing to a mega church. He's writing to a few dozen people like in maybe one or two or three different homes. I keep that in mind as you think about this letter and maybe how it applies to us today. And so um, we notice that Paul starts this letter with prayer. And so we're going to look at verses 15 through 23 uh, together today. I invite you to, uh, to join me in it. And so I'll start reading. Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not give, stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, all power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. These are the very words of God. Amen. Those are good words. And the thing is, like, we hear those words, and man, they sound so powerful, right? But we, we sometimes have a hard time understanding quite what, they, quite what they mean. Paul can be a little dense. If you ever feel like you're reading a, a letter from Paul and, like, you, you maybe don't quite understand what he just said, don't feel bad. Peter, uh, in some of his letters he wrote to the early church, he says, like, Paul is a great guy. He is really smart. Peter said... I think he's a little hard to understand. Peter, whose rabbi was Jesus, thought Paul was a little hard to understand. So if you ever feel like Paul's a little confusing, maybe his language is a little dense, it's because he is. Uh, but man, it's so rich, isn't it? It's just, we hear that and there's something to it. But I think we need, to, we need to think a little bit about what he's actually saying. Because Paul is using some words here that are familiar to us. Uh, and a lot of times, many people in the church will use these words. But the thing is, we use the same words, but we will not be saying the same thing. You ever talk to someone like that? You're like, you're using the same exact words, but you know you're not talking about the same stuff. Like, your words, that, that does not mean what you think it, think it means. Like, that's, you gotta, you gotta fix it. I'll, I'm making myself laugh. I'm cracking my own dad jokes today. It's okay. Um, but listen, there's words like wisdom. Words like revelation, words like knowledge, words like faith, like what do they actually mean? And can we share, like, can we get a common language and a common understanding of what they are? Um, what does wisdom and revelation knowledge actually have to do with faith anyway? I mean, a lot of us maybe have been told, I've heard well-meaning pastors and church leaders say that, that faith is belief that requires no evidence. Um, faith is belief without any evidence at all. Um, but is that really what it is? 
I mean, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, so the truth is that most people in our world generally think that faith and knowledge have nothing to do with each other. This is really a move that happens in like the, the 18th and 19th centuries where we separate religious faith from the domain of knowledge. Like if you think about it, all of the major universities, I mean the real old ones in the United States, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, these were all founded as like theological institutions. And now, right, you see how that's been separated out. Um, this idea of like religious faith and, and Jesus and the kingdom of God separated out by our society from the domain of knowledge. But what I think Paul would say, and what uh, I think some wise Christian leaders would say too, is that those two things, they were never meant to be separated. That they have a lot more in common than we think. And so I just want to talk a little bit about some of those things. I'm going to get into some definitions. So if you just give me a few minutes, we're going to define some terms. You just hang with me. I promise it will not be super boring. And then we'll get through and we'll talk about how this kind of applies to what Paul's saying and how it applies to our life. So first I want to talk about this idea that he mentions uh, pretty commonly throughout, which is the idea of knowledge. We heard that language. He says, no, to know him, to, to know the riches of inheritance, to know his power at work in our life. So what is knowledge? Well, I like the way that Dallas Willard defines it. He said that knowledge is the ability to represent objective truth as it is on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. Now, that may have sounded a little confusing to you. I'll give you an analogy here in a minute. But knowledge is knowing the ability to represent as truth um, on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. Wisdom which is something else that Paul talks about. Wisdom, we could say, is like this settled disposition of the soul to act in accordance with knowledge. So if knowledge is being able to represent something on an appropriate basis of thought and experience, then wisdom is acting in accordance with what you know to be true. Uh, the last one that we'll look at is this idea of faith. Now, this is where I think it's really interesting because many people would just say that faith is just uh, putting your belief in something. But, but we would want to say that faith is trust. Very simply, faith is trust. So we talk about Christian faith. Faith is trusting in Jesus. I mean, not just in the ideas of God, the abstract. No, trusting in the person of Jesus. That's faith. But it, it even maybe goes a little bit beyond that because when we want to think about how this relates to wisdom and knowledge, faith is a trust that extends beyond knowledge on the basis of knowledge. So you're probably wanting me to draw an analogy. No worries. I can do that. Uh, you might look behind me and man, that looks nice. Um, you can see there's a valley. Uh, that's kind of far. Um, and, and so in this case, I would know a thing or two that might help me in this situation. So I am on a cliff. Uh, don't worry. There's a fence. I think you can see it. Um, uh, I would know a thing or two about gravity. And so I know about gravity, certainly from school. I mean, I took some classes like in high school and in college, like some physics classes. I know about gravity, uh, on an appropriate basis of thought. So I know that if I threw something, um, whether it's a rock, a stick, or my body off of this cliff, it will fall at a rate of 9.8 meters per second per second, uh, which will then culminate in me having a lot of momentum generated into the ground. Gravity, I know a thing or two about gravity, right? On an appropriate basis of thought. Experience also is a good teacher in this because 
I, like many of you, have also fallen off of things before. And, and most of the time, if I'm just being honest, like especially as I get a little older, um, it's like steps. You know, like I will miss a step coming down the stairs and like that six inch drop feels like a long way. Um, but you learn this stuff from experience, right? And so that's knowledge, is being able to represent something on an appropriate basis of thought and experience, like gravity in this instance. Wisdom uh, means not jumping off the cliff. Do <laughs> you get it? Wisdom is acting uh, in accordance with knowledge. There's a settled disposition of the soul to act in accordance with knowledge. Wisdom and action are very closely rooted together. So wisdom in this case really does look like, because what I know about gravity, well, I should not jump off the cliff. That is wisdom. Wisdom is making sure that we film this in a place where there is a fence behind me so that I don't get like super excited and Pentecostal on y'all and like back my way off the cliff. Right? That is wisdom. Knowledge is the ability to represent something on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. Wisdom is the subtle disposition to act in accordance with knowledge. Faith is putting on a parachute before I jump off the cliff. Now, Faith is learning to trust um, on, in, in accordance with knowledge and as a basis of knowledge. And so you see how this makes sense, right? If knowledge is, um, is being able to represent something on an appropriate basis of thought and experience, right? I know about parachutes. I know in a very theoretical sense that, uh, that parachutes work for other people. Like when they jump off of a high place or a plane or something, I know that. I know about something like a drag coefficient, which says that if there's like an open canopy and that it's falling through the air, like I will no longer fall at 9.8 meters per second per second. It will slow my rate of descent enough such that I could actually survive a pretty significant fall. I know about that. Um, and I also know about it from experience. I mean, I don't know about you, but like I've used parachutes before and uh, I made it. So like, I know that it's worked for me in the past. I know it works for other people. I know a little bit about why it works. So you see, that's the knowledge piece of it. And so trust, faith comes in is that I actually put on the parachute and did it. And the reason why that's an element of faith is because like, I don't know that it's actually gonna work this time, right? I know it can, I know it has in the past, I know it probably should, but I don't know for sure. See, that's faith, that's trust. I'm trusting in the parachute in that instance. Do you, do you see how this all fits together, this knowledge and wisdom and faith, how it kind of all coalesces and see how those things are not totally devoid and totally separate from, from one another? And then let's compare this then, bring it back to Paul and bring it back to the Ephesians and bring it back to us and to our lives and to where we are today. You see, Paul prays that the Ephesians will receive three things. Did you catch it? Like as we read through that scripture, he prays that they would receive three things. Number one, that they would know Christ better, that they would know him better. Number two, that they would know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance, which uh, we would call the kingdom of God. Jesus puts it like this in Luke 12. He says, do not fear little flock for your father delights to give you the kingdom. Your father delights to give you the kingdom. That's the second thing Paul prays for. They would know the riches that God has provided for you, the inheritance that he has provided for you. And the third thing that he prays that they would receive is that they would know the power available through him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. That's some power. Now, Paul prays that they would know 
these things. They would know Jesus, know their inheritance, know his power in the course of their average, everyday life. That they would know these things. They would be able to represent them on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. Paul does not separate Jesus from the domain of knowledge. Dallas Willard said it like this. He said, Jesus is the smartest man who has ever lived. And if you don't believe that about him, you'll believe it about someone else. I think when you look at Jesus and you look at what he teaches and you look at his life, I mean, I think that becomes, in a certain sense, self-evident. I mean, if you really look at him, uh, as, as a way of illustration, uh, one time, just to test this, I, uh, I asked Lily. I said, Lily, who is the smartest person who ever lived? She paused and looked at me like I was dumb. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, I mean, I didn't know where this was going. She said, it's Jesus. I said, man, I'm such a proud dad right now. Yes, like you got it. It's sinking in. This is amazing. We seem to intuitively know this. If Jesus is the son of God, he is not going to be dumb. And that the kingdom of God and the teaching of Jesus should not be separated from the domain of knowledge, things that you can actually know. And if he is really resurrected and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and if Jesus is really alive, then you can know him personally. And if he really did give the Holy Spirit to his people, to his church, then, then you could really know the power that is available for your life. But I want you to notice that Paul doesn't pray just that they would receive these things, right? He prays that they would receive these things, but as a result of something else happening, right? Paul mentions the fruit that he hopes will be born, but he prays for the roots. And that rhymed, so you'll remember it. He prays about the fruit, but he really leans into the roots. And so you'll notice that what he prays for specifically is for wisdom and for revelation. He said, and I quote, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so there again, like, let's, let's define some terms. What's revelation? Like, it sounds kind of weird. Sometimes that can be like a pretty religious-y word, and we don't really know what to do with it. Simply put, revelation is uh, something being revealed. I know. I went to the dictionary for that one. Revelation is something that was unseen being made seen. Uh, revelation specifically, as Paul is praying for, is that uh, you would have an experience, an encounter with Jesus that you would hear his voice, that you would meet him and, and, and experience his presence in the course of your life. There's that word experience, right? Remember knowledge? Knowledge is the ability to represent something as truth on, on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. It's like, how, do I, how, do, how can I experience more of God? It's like what the psalmist said, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience is important. As you lean into that experience of God, it, it matters. And so Paul prays that they would receive revelation. And he also prays that they would receive uh, wisdom. Remember, wisdom is the settled disposition of the soul to act in accordance with knowledge. I mean, I was just reading it this morning in Psalm 90. Um, the psalmist writes, says, Teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom has a lot to do with perspective, uh, which we'll talk about more here in a minute. Um, but we all know people who have knowledge, but don't act in accordance with that knowledge. We all pe know people who, who, who have the, the knowledge of things, but then just don't have wisdom. And, uh, and honestly, let's face it, sometimes that people, it's us. Right? Uh, how many times do you know the speed limit? And do you know the consequences of violating the speed limit? And yet 
you do it anyway. Like, I'm going to be honest, when we drive down this mountain, I'm probably not going to drive the speed limit. Like, I'm probably going to drive a little bit over. I mean, just, you know, is that wise? I mean, maybe, maybe not. Wisdom is, is being able to act in accordance with knowledge. I mean, how many people do you know, maybe it's you, who know that, um, know that drinking too much causes problems? I mean, it distorts your perception. It changes who you are. It causes you to do things that maybe you're not particularly proud of. Um, it doesn't really leave you feeling better at any point the next day. And yet you do it anyway. How many people know that like smoking is bad, but we do it anyway? How many people know that like the odds of, of winning um, the Powerball are infinitesimally small? And yet we put a lot of money into tickets anyway. You see, wisdom is the settled disposition of the soul to act in accordance with knowledge. And what you may be thinking is like, well, I, can't, I don't have wisdom. I'm not a wise person. Well, don't worry. The Apostle James, he got you covered. He's got your back. James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God for it. And the Father who is generous, he will not hold back from you. He will not withhold from you any good gift. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be open. Just ask. If you're lacking in wisdom, ask God for it. If you're lacking in revelation, that experience of God, ask God for it. He's generous, right? And when you're asking about an encounter with him, man, he seems to be pretty, just in my life, he is extremely faithful in answering those prayers. There's some prayers for a variety of reasons that God doesn't always answer, but there's some prayers that it just seems like God always answers. And I cannot think of a time that I have ever prayed for wisdom and God didn't answer that prayer. He always seems to come through. If you're willing and you're open and you have open hands before him, uh, he, he shows up. He's faithful. So revelation and wisdom. And what Paul says that if you have revelation and you have wisdom, I mean, if you have this experience of God and then you have the, the ability, the desire, the wherewithal, the capacity to act upon the knowledge that you've received, um, that that equals then an increased knowledge of God and his kingdom, an increased knowledge, relational knowledge of Jesus, an increased knowledge of the kingdom that he has provided for you, your inheritance, an increased knowledge of the power that is available to you through life with him. Uh, revelation plus wisdom equals increased knowledge, which if you were paying attention a few minutes ago, you probably were. I'm sure you took copious notes. You remember that increased knowledge leads to increased faith. And I don't just mean book knowledge. Remember, this isn't just about books. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, God has found and seen it fit to bless all sorts of people with all sorts of educational experiences. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a college degree. You don't need to be at a kindergarten. I mean, Lily, when I asked her that question, you know how old she was? She was like in maybe pre-K. I mean, kids get this. That's why Jesus said you need to become like a child in so many respects in your faith just to be able to trust and on whatever knowledge you do have to act upon it. And so uh, we just, we see this idea that Paul is drawing out is that revelation plus wisdom increases knowledge. And that as you increase knowledge, remember the appropriate basis of thought and experience as that knowledge increases, it increases our ability to trust, right? And as we then act on that, we, we use more faith. We exercise faith more often. It increases our faith. It's this cycle. Do you see? It only makes sense. And so the, the bottom line I think that we get to is that faith ultimately is the currency of the kingdom. I mean, it is impossible to please God apart from faith. Um, 
so many authors in the New Testament bring in this idea from, from the prophets in the old Hebrew Bible. It says that the righteous live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by trust, an abiding trust in Jesus on the basis of knowledge, extended from that base of knowledge. We, we walk by trust in him, not by just what we can see, not by just what we can taste and touch and smell and, and point to. So maybe you wonder, what does this have to do with my daily life? What does it have to do with me in 2020? Why knowledge? Why wisdom? Why revelation? Why faith? Um, I think what Paul is doing is he wants to point the Ephesians. Remember, their world in so many ways is not that different from ours. And Paul wants to point the Ephesians and the Ephesian church that discipleship to Jesus in his kingdom is the ground of reality and the only way to navigate the complexities of this life and end up whole on the other side. I think that's an important idea for us to get to uh, because ultimately what this is about is about perspective. Remember Psalm 90, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's about perspective. So you'll see we're at Bay's Mountain. That's some pretty good perspective. When we first showed up here uh, and we started, started filming, I think it was still pretty foggy. Like when we first got here, uh, it was, I mean, you couldn't see like these trees behind me. Like it was so foggy, so dense. I, I happen to love foggy mornings. And the thing is like in the valley down there, there's still quite a, there's still some fog. I mean, most of it's cleared away up here. The sun's burned it off. The wind's blown the, the clouds away and you can see, and man, what a sight it is, you know? Um, is that most of us, we live our lives in the valley where there's a lot of fog. What we need is we need some perspective. We need to be able to get up and see. You see, up here on Bay's Mountain, um, they built some fire towers. Now, I'm sure you weren't really wondering about the history of fire towers, but you're going to get it anyway. Um, so there's actually two fire towers on Bay's Mountain. There's one up the ridge line that way, about a half a mile. That's a pretty short one. It looks out, you know, kind of over Sullivan Gardens, looks out to the south and the east. You can see out to Johnson City and Buffalo Mountain. You can actually see the Blue Ridge Mountains if you squint real hard in the distance. But then there's another fire tower, which if any of you have been to Bay's Mountain, you're familiar with that other fire tower. And that fire tower sits way up on the ridgeline above Holston Munitions. It's kind of on the north and west side of the mountain. Um, and that one is 100 feet tall. It was built in 1937 uh, during the Great Depression. Civilian Conservation Corps built that fire tower. Um, it was built to, uh, to just be an early lookout for forest fires. Um, and from it, I mean, you can have, you have a complete 360 degree view. There's no trees obstructing your field of view. You can see all around for miles. I mean, I don't know exactly how far, but you can see Kentucky. You can see the Cumberland Gap. You can see, of course, up into Virginia. You can see North Carolina um, from there. Of course, you can see Tennessee. I mean, Bays Mountain itself is 3,500 acres. You can see all of it, every acre of it from up there. Um, it's about perspective. That's why they put someone up in the tower. They put someone in the tower to watch just so like if there was a fire somewhere anywhere around in the valley, then they would be able to see it and they'd be able to send help when they needed to. Is that the thing is most of us, we don't live our lives from a place of perspective. We live our lives in the valley. Except the problem in the valley is that like the valley has fog. The valley still has fog. Even when it's clear up high, there's still foggy in the valley. And you ever like try to find your way around in a fog? I mean, it's hard, you know? And the thing is like 2020 for so many people has been a fog or maybe just in general, your life is generally like walking through a fog. Like you can't see very far. It seems really confusing. You don't know which way is up, down, left or right. Um, that's why you need 
perspective. Uh, sometimes, you know, when you're, uh, you know that there are fires around, you know that there's potential for fire somewhere around you in your life, it's like you, you need the perspective to be able to see it, to be able to get up and to be able to look out and find where those fires are. It's just, I think for most of us, it's like, it's really twofold, right? I'm mixing my analogies here, but, but we're living in the valley and it's just so foggy. We don't know quite what, where to go, how to turn. And the other thing is that like, we know we need to be able to spot the fires, and most of us, rather than trying to find a way to gain perspective, to gain elevation, you know what we do? We try to jump. Now, you might be a much better jumper than I. You might have some real ups, and I don't. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say you can't jump this high. You can't jump this high. It doesn't matter how hard you try, how much effort or work you put in, you will never be able to get the kind of perspective from down there that you can get up here. And so my encouragement for us, and this is really what I think Paul is getting at, um, is that he's saying that Jesus has the perspective that we need in life. That Jesus was like us in every way and yet without sin. That Jesus had the ability as he walked this earth um, to live a life with perspective. He had abundant resources of knowledge and he had wisdom. He, he was the wisest person who ever lived too. Uh, no offense to Solomon, but he was the wisest person who ever lived, Jesus was. He had the ability to act like no one else could in accordance with knowledge. He had an unrivaled faith. I mean, an abiding trust that extended out on the basis of what knowledge he did have. He had the perspective because he lived his life daily in the kingdom of the heavens, as, uh, as the gospel writers sometimes put it. And what Jesus prayed is that, is that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And what Jesus desires for us is that in the course of our lives, because guess what? You can't live on the mountaintop. We live in the valley. No one else lives up. We, we live in the valley. And that in the course of your daily life, as you live in the valley, that you would have the mountaintop perspective. You would have up here, down there. That's what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. That's what Paul is getting at in this portion of his letter. That's what he's wanting to teach the Ephesians. That as they're trying to find their way through the fog, as they're navigating the complexities of life, that they would have God's wisdom and his perspective in the course of their daily life. He put it like this in Ephesians. He said that Jesus, um, Jesus was raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and from that place, He is reigning with all authority, far above every power, every name, for eternity, the head over all the church, the one, uh, specifically the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. He has that perspective now. He had it when He walked this earth, and guess what? Jesus is still alive. He still has that perspective. And the invitation of the gospel, Paul puts this like this in, in Ephesians 2, just a few verses later. The, the, the power of the gospel is that God raised us up with Christ. That when you trust him, when you put your faith in him, extend it out on knowledge, right? Um, that as you trust in him, that you are raised up with Jesus and seated with him in the heavenly realms. That it literally gives you perspective. It brings you up. It puts you in a new place where you can see out and have a better understanding of how to navigate life. That's why the teaching of Jesus is so important. It's like if you just, if you spent time with the Sermon on the Mount and then you just applied that to your daily life, it'd be like, it'd be like having the ability to, to get a bird's eye view at any point in your life to be able to look out and see where you are in the valley and to be able to understand which way to go, left or right or, or up or down or back, wherever you need to go. It's having that 
perspective, that ability, that wisdom, that basis of knowledge, and then trusting that Jesus can lead you through any and every situation that you you face, or that you face, that works too. Um, See, the Ephesians, they needed a kingdom perspective. Um, And the truth is that our world does too. (laughs) Maybe you do too. Maybe it's just your school or your office or your neighborhood or your house or just like yourself. You need that kingdom perspective in the course of your life because this has been a hard year. It's a hard time to be a human being. I mean, just with everything going on and I mean, the pandemic and the election um, and just the mess of all of that. And then you just add to that 24-7 news and social media. And it's like, we need perspective. And, uh, And so you might be wondering, like, what can you do? Is there anything that you can do? Is there any practical, tangible thing that you can do today, this week, tomorrow, that can help you in this, to gain the perspective? Um, And so I just remind you what Paul prays for. He prays that they would have wisdom. These are the roots, remember? Wisdom plus revelation, which increases knowledge. That then, as they have increased knowledge, it increases their faith. As they then act with wisdom, they act in accordance with that knowledge, it increases their faith. All of that eventually getting to a place where we can have perspective in the course of our daily life. And so, if you want to know what you need to do, you need to go find a rock. I mentioned here at the beginning, this is like a place that I come to where it just helps me to have perspective. A place where you can get above the fog place where it'll clear away and you can see things clearly as they actually are you need to go find a rock but the truth is is it's not just about like finding a place that you can go to it's not a specific geographic spot it's not even a spot that you go to like once or twice a week it's about finding a rock in the course of your life uh, all the time a place that you can get perspective from And so very often, just what this looks like, it looks like prayer. Incorporating rhythms and disciplines of prayer in your life. I mean, having a set-apart time every day, like a longer time to sit and be still and quiet with God, to talk with Him and unburden your soul to Him, to be completely honest, and then to listen to what He has to say back, Uh, to, to, to engage with Scripture. I mean, to sit and to read the Bible. You know, not just to check a box, not just for words on a page, but like it's the very words of God speaking to you. I I mean, to find some other followers of Jesus that you can talk about what's going on in your life with. The the biblical word for that is fellowship. We've taken that and made a real weird churchy word sometimes, but fellowship is shared life together. Is that he would literally just share your life with other people. You need that. It is essential. The early church could not survive without it. They felt it was worth risking their life to have. Prayer, scripture, fellowship, service, I mean, extravagant generosity, or even just mediocre generosity, any kind of generosity, hospitality, these these things, they're so important to our lives because they help us to have perspective. They're the rocks. Well, really, Jesus is the rock. And those things are all places that point us to him, channels of his grace that point us back to the rock. And so if you want to figure out how you can navigate this world that we're in right now, I mean, sure, you can keep jumping. You can keep, you know, doing your step ups and doing squats and whatever it is that you think is going to, you know, firm up them glutes that you can jump six inches higher. But guess what? You will never be able to jump up here. You need perspective. You need to go find a rock. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm just going to pray Paul's words over you and for you. 
for today. And so if you would, I just invite you to, to open up your hands and your heart and to receive it. And maybe if today you're kind of struggling with faith and maybe struggling with how this all fits with knowledge, or maybe today you're, you're kind of finding yourself opening up to Jesus for, for really maybe the first time or the first time in a while, I just like to encourage you to reach out, to, to take this prayer and make it your prayer, to, to simply place your trust in Jesus. Remember just that what you do know, just act on that, to trust him. To, to, to seek him and trust him for your daily bread. Just like the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experiment. A good holy kingdom experiment never did anybody any harm. And so I'd like to pray for you today, wherever you find yourself, whatever situation or circumstance you might find yourself in, just these words of Paul over you and over our church today. And honestly, over our city too. Because you know what else is down in the valley? I mean, between here and the Blue Ridge Mountains, there's 100,000 people. And so I invite you to just pray these words, I mean, for yourself, for your family, for our church, for the world. Here it is. Bow your heads, your hearts, and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment and this opportunity and these people who are engaging with your word. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this place. I thank you for this rock the wisdom, the revelation, the knowledge of you, the knowledge of your kingdom, the knowledge of your power, and how that leads to an increased faith and how that helps us to gain perspective in our lives. Father, we just thank you that you would give us that gift and that you would help us to live um, out of that place in the course of our daily lives. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that you would give everyone engaging today, that you give our church, that you give our city, that you give our government leaders that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they may know you better. I pray the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, in order that they may know the hope to which they have been called, the riches of your glorious inheritance for your holy people, that they would know your incomparably great power for us who believe, that they would experience in the course of their lives the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority above every power and dominion and every name that is invoked in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. To know the name of Jesus is the name that is above all names, all things placed under his feet, and him appointed as the head over all. Father, we thank you for this gift. We praise you and we bless you. And we extend that blessing from us, through us, over our city, our community, and our region. For it is in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our King, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, great to be with you today. I hope you enjoyed the view. You're welcome for that. Um, just want to say again, thank you so much for how you've engaged. Thank you for so much how you have given. I don't even know if that sent, last sentence made sense, but thank you for your support. Thank you for your gifts and your generosity. Thank you for continuing to be the church. Um, the world needs more Jesus today. And uh, they're going to see that through the way that you live your life. So I just encourage you in that. Thanks for being you. What you do matters. What you do makes a difference. God bless you uh, and keep you this week. If there's anything you need, don't hesitate to reach out. Let me know. Let us know. And we will do our best to serve you. Uh, Y'all have a great week. Make a great day. And we'll find you somewhere around Kingsport next week. Take care.